this is Marty. This episode is going to be a little bit different. This is actually an episode of Hardcore College Football that I did a guest appearance on on June 1st. And Corey and I went over some of the 2020 storylines to keep an eye out for, some quotes we expect to hear a lot during the season. It was a lot of fun. It was a really great episode. Give them a subscription at Hardcore CFB on Twitter, Hardcore College Football, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Corey does excellent work. He's on YouTube. He's on Spotify. They're everywhere. As for us, we appreciate you taking the time to enjoy this episode. And feel free again to follow us at RunPodOption on Twitter. Email us, RunPodOption at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Hardcore College Football. Today we have Marty on from Run Pod Option. He's going to break down some 2020 storylines with me, and we have a blast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Hardcore College Football. On the show with me now is Marty from Run Pod Option. His handle on Twitter is at Run Pod Option. How are you doing today, buddy? Corey, I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me on, brother. I'm ready. I hope you are ready because you kind of filled in for us last second. Um, so I appreciate that because it was very last, very last second. Uh, but also, I kind of feel bad that I didn't have you on the show last week. I. I guess I didn't include you in the college football accounts because you have a podcast. I I think of you as a podcast first, not as a college football account. So I I do apologize for that. No, I I think it's understandable. My following is not nearly as big as some of those guys that you had on, understandably. And as far as kind of being a a replacement right at the last seconds, you just kind of came out, you looked at the bullpen, you saw me, you tapped your left arm, and I came out to uh, enter Sandman to fill in the role and I'm ready for it. Yeah, I looked at the bullpen and I was like, oh, okay. Jesus, all Marty, <laughs> all Marty has is a two-seat fastball. He's going to really need to locate this thing. Just Hey, you know what? You came on here today and I'm just asking you to throw strikes. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> but this is a college football podcast, not a baseball podcast. So uh, rest in peace to baseball, by the way. Um, yeah, see you at the crossroads, baseball. <laughs> Anyway, we are here today, and today we're going to talk about 2020 storylines, and I've actually already kind of done an episode on this way back in the spring, where we kind of focused on storylines and songs, so if you haven't checked that out, go check that out. Uh, But today we're going to focus in on how to do them kind of in a game format. So basically, Marty, I'm going to give you two choices, and you're going to tell me which one's going to be the better storyline. Not necessarily the better team or the better player in certain circumstances, but the better storyline. Now, these first couple that we're going to get into aren't necessarily either or because, well, you'll see in a second why if you're listening. But with that being said, why don't I stop just blabbering about it and we'll just get right into it with the first one. First big storyline, COVID-19. Obviously going to be an issue, going to be something that everyone's going to be talking about for the entire season and probably years to come. So the first subheading in the COVID-19, Marty, will teams be properly prepared? What do you think of that storyline? How often does that come up and how much of a storyline do you think it will be? 
I think it's going to be a huge storyline, but I'm going to break it into two parts. I think that from a team unity and a playbook and tactical aspect, right? So learning the playbook, getting in groups with your running backs, your quarterbacks, your offensive linemen. I think that, honestly, it might actually benefit a lot of those groups because they're having to do the video calls. They're having to be very awake, aware, doing these meetings and not be in the room together. I think that might actually kind of benefit people. The other side of that coin for me is physically, will they be prepared? And whether it's just an extra set of bench press that they're going to miss because they're at home or because they're not able to access the gym or whatever it might be, it, it, it feels really dark saying this is early in the episode, but the season might be defined by big-time injuries, and that's what worries me the most, is how many torn ACLs are we going to see because conditioning wasn't typical due to all the different circumstances of COVID-19. Two points to that I want to add. Number one, you're 100%. I mean, you can only lift books and milk jugs in your in your house for so long. Now, things are beginning to open up and people are getting out more, and so hopefully that changes. But, I mean, they're already very far behind from where they would be with a normal spring practice. But one thing I would like to mention is uh, Jeff Scott uh, said to Sports Illustrated, if you go back 25 years ago when it was not the norm for players to be on campus during the summer, everybody went home after the spring and came back for camp. You had a month of practices. We might see ourselves in a situation like that again, end quote. So he's basically saying, hey, we used to do this before. We can do this again and the players will be ready. What do you think of that? I think he's probably right if this was going to become the new standard that the NCAA set. This being such a unique circumstance because if everything goes well, next season will go off without a hitch. Everything will go as scheduled. I hope that's the case. I think that 25 years ago, the workouts were also very different. And they certainly, if you depending on what, what you want to believe, supposedly a lot of the weight training now is harder on the ligaments because you have a lot of body weight exercise, which doesn't, doesn't add up when you think about it, but you're doing a lot of lateral movement with your knees and, and, and other things like that. So I think coach is correct, but I still think that that is a tough adjustment for all the kids coming out of high school too, and that are used to having AAU and just constantly, constantly playing football 12 months out of the year. I think the biggest, and you just kind of hit it right on the noggin there, the kids coming in are going to be the ones that are going to have to grow up fast. And I think the teams that have more experienced players are going to come out and play a lot better than the teams that are expecting a lot of younger players to step into big roles. I, I think quarterback is going to be an interesting one. I think it kind of makes things like for Alabama, where you have Mac Jones coming back and people thought maybe Bryce Young would come in and maybe compete. Things like that almost like, okay, well, that, that kind of finishes the competition there because how can you expect a guy like Bryce Young who hasn't even been in a weight program on campus for very long? He was what, there for two, three months. Right. You can't expect him to come in and now start after being on campus for basically only two, three months. So that will be interesting. Now, I want to kind of move it into a little bit more of a 
a weird direction here. And players are beginning to come back now. They're Well, I guess not yet. But tomorrow, they're beginning to allow to become back and actually start non-voluntary or voluntary workouts. What happens, though, as we start get you know getting going here and practices start, and even if we get into games, what happens if someone tests positive? What do we do? I don't know. So it, we have the only kind of parallel we have to compare it to right now is what the English Premier League is doing, which if, if you don't know, here in about two weeks, they're going to have neutral site games and in efforts to complete their season. And they're doing a massive amount of testing. There's already in their first wave of testing something like nine or ten players that have, or personnel that have tested positive. And they're giving the option to these players to show up or not. I don't know. When you think about this, is not this is not like uh, the Browns and what was it the staff infection that took over their whole locker room, and they had to keep getting it clean and it kept coming back up. I can't remember the name of the strain, but to that point, let's say I'm a player for Alabama and I test positive and hypothetically I've been holding that for two weeks and being able to spread it for one and we've now done five workouts in the gym we've done workouts on the field I've been getting in people's faces they've been getting in mine I even did a big speech with everybody circling around me how many people have I infected I don't see any college football team having the nerve to just say like well our star quarterback we found out he's positive he's been all around us we're just going to hang it up for two weeks and self-isolate i don't know if that leads to forfeiture of games i don't know if that means forfeiture of seasons but like it's going to happen it's not an if it's a win that's not really an answer i don't i don't know it honestly it's what keeps me nervous about this entire season is what happens when that happens exactly and then how do you you can't fault those teams for doing something like that but then how do you even try to compare teams when the whole season's over if alabama went eight and eight no but had four forfeitures because of the coronavirus it's like uh yeah yeah (laughs) there's the four no a four no auburn team Gets, uh, gets some poll to name them national champions because they had to forfeit the season because Bo Nix got it. The real question, and, and I think, the real question for the uh, college football playoff selection committee is going to be, is there such thing as a good forfeit or not? That's going to be the question for 2020. That's the biggest headline of all of the headlines. God, that's that's so hideous. It's like the worst the worst version of March Madness. We're looking for key losses, and they're just like, all right. Well, they forfeited a game against an FCS school, so they probably would have won it versus the team that forfeited a, a Pac-12 A&M and UCLA and A&M forfeiting or UCLA forfeiting and it being a good or bad forfeiture. That's what's going to happen. No, I cut you off, though. What were you going to say? Well, uh, the, the one small thing I was going to add. So in the athletic, they did a, a blind poll with Division One athletes, both across the P5 and the G5. And pretty overwhelmingly, the the students, the student athletes, were willing to go back to school. A few of them, I think half of them nearly said that it'd be weird. They want it to be delayed if no fans were going to be allowed. 
But I think a lot of the confidence for them is that, listen, these guys are 18 to 22. A lot of them are going to be in the best shape of their life. So they're not going to be susceptible necessarily to what COVID is capable of. But what I keep, what keeps being omitted from a lot of this reporting or a lot of this discussion, I feel like it's not going to hurt Bo Nix if he gets it, right? He'll probably be fine. But Bo Nix's position coach, who's maybe got a smoking habit and is 48, I, I don't, Chad Morris, I don't think, I don't think Chad Morris smokes, but, <laughs> but you know, to that, but Nick, Nick Saban's older, right? Had Bill Snyder still been coaching, like, would he be on the sidelines too? There's, there's that kind of butterfly effect of a player not only getting sick and potentially endangering his teammates, but there's a lot of older coaches, man. And those coaches, as we've seen with a lot of different documentary style stuff, do not live the healthiest lifestyle sometimes. They're up 13 to 18 hours a day at school practicing and getting ready for the next game. And they're just as susceptible. They're more susceptible than the students are. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that testing isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all. This uh, Dr. Hayline from the NCAA was talking about in an interview um, for the Associated Press was just talking about how everyone's going to have to do their own kind of thing to figure out how they should properly handle this thing. And it almost seemed like not everybody was going to be tested as they came back, which almost seems like you would have to do that, wouldn't you? Unless they have the tracing and they know that player A has been isolated for three weeks already. And even then, I'd still test them. I, I don't know. I think I think what we're running into here is a an intersection between both the NCAA trying to do their best to keep the season afloat and what's actually reality, which is most states not even meeting the testing capacity that's necessary and trying to now prioritize football players before the students that just attend the school, but also everybody else in the state. Yeah, I think, I I don't know. I'm not obviously an epidemiologist. I do have a degree in microbiology, but that it just seems like they're going to go with a, a much wider approach, but I'm not really sure. Let's keep it positive though, because the last thing I guess we should talk about before we move on real quick is whether or not, you kind of already mentioned it, but whether or not there even should be fans. And if so, is there a capacity limit? And if there is a capacity limit, who deserves to get in? I think the answer for me would obviously be students first. I think if we're expecting our athletes to be back at school, I'm assuming the students will be back at school. If the students are back in school, they at least should be rewarded for their risk by getting to go to a college football game. Maybe you just fill up the stadium with all students and don't let anyone else in. But, of course, that's not making you any money. What do you think? <laughs> I tend to agree. So if, if public's going to be allowed in, I think students first and foremost. I think the capacity of your student section should be the max, and you spread that out across the entire arena for for just safety purposes, right? So if you have 10,000, you have a 50,000 person stadium and there's 10,000 dedicated students, that's the max you can hit and it can only be students, that's it. If nothing else, age group, maybe they're less likely to, to do harm there. And then further into the personnel, 
It goes players and coaches and medical staff, the referees, and then maybe, maybe a handful of press, local press, one big, you know, corporate, or not corporate, but nationwide press and whatever camera guys are there, but as little as possible, especially when you consider some of those guys are going to be in press boxes that aren't exactly wide open. At least 10,000 students in a huge stadium, there's a chance that it's not just going to hit all 10,000, but if one, if two people are in a press box and one person has it, both are probably going to end up having it. Absolutely. That's a good point. I didn't really even mention the press, but I mean, that's a whole other thing you have to figure out because how do you begin to choose which people get to cover which things all of a sudden? I mean, the... are they going to do game day and have hundreds to thousands of people behind Lee Corso and Kirk? Or are they going to have to put their TVs out there and have, you know, there's a whole load of things that, that's going to be different presentation wise, I think. I can promise you Lee Corso isn't going to be crowd surfing. God, I hope not. Uh, maybe, I don't know. They can do a lot of really cool things, though, with Lee Corso and, like, wearing a mask and things like that. I don't know. but Maybe he just wears the mascot head the entire time yeah. to protect him. Right. Um, all right. The last little big kind of one before we get into the either-ors is new members to the college football playoff. We kind of are getting into the point where, and it hasn't just been this way for the last season. It's been like this since the beginning. But, you know, you have your typical teams constantly making it in the college football playoff. You have your Alabamas. You have your Clemsons. Lately, you've had your Oklahomas. And then you've had a mixture of Georgia or Ohio State. And that's basically been about it. The two teams that I kind of want to highlight, especially because I think they're the teams that most likely will get in. Maybe we'll throw in Notre Dame just because then we can answer that question with it. Possible new members to the college football playoff. Florida, Penn State, Notre Dame. Do you want to add anyone else to that list? I'll add somebody, but let's just – just those three. I think Penn State – Penn State probably has the highest chance out of those three, followed by Florida and Notre Dame. And the Notre Dame part is only because I'll never trust Notre Dame. I just – I just after after what Clemson did to him in that playoff, <laughs> like, I just don't want to see him back. So it's, that's personal. But, like, objective, I think Penn State and then Florida after them. The only other team or teams that I would include in there is, like, maybe big, big long shots. Oklahoma State, and a lot of things I think have to go right, but Oklahoma State. And give me – Give me those Southern Cal Trojans. Hmm. And that is a reach. That's a reach. I think I, I'd put $5 on that bet to make 100 but I wouldn't put 100 to make 5000 You know, I, I would, I'd play it close to the best. What are those things but that think, you use to, like, grab trash and, like, put it in, but you don't want to actually touch the trash, those little, like, picker-upper things? Like, that's how yeah. far you're reaching right now to, 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 to pick that one up. Yeah, and it's not even with like the appropriate one. It's like the crappy kids one yeah. with the, the T-Rex head at the end that doesn't have a good grip. But I think that, and it won't be Helton. I think it's going to be Slovis, and I think it's going to be a Pac-12 that right now, other than Oregon, kind of feels like, uh, I almost said the Wild West, but that's a little on the nose. <laughs> it, it's anybody's it's anybody's to win i agree with that i thought you were going to i felt bad for not mentioning oregon there as possibly a new member i mean i know they were in it before but back into it truly um i i know i guess 
which should include Oregon, has already been in there. But for my sake, I still consider them almost a new member because it was such a long time ago. I mean, yeah, it's world. It seems like eons ago. Right, and so I thought maybe Oregon was going to get a little bit of a whiff there, but you went USC. I you you could make the argument you should talk about Utah before talking about USC. Um, we're going to get to Utah in a little bit, so we'll we'll hold off on that discussion. Um, but but I I think it's interesting. You think Penn State has a better chance over Florida? I think that only because I'm a believer in James Franklin, like long term. I think he can win there. They have perhaps the biggest hurdle in Ohio State. If I think Ohio State's a bigger hurdle for Penn State than Georgia would be for Florida, say. But I think the rest of Penn State's schedule, when you look at the SEC East in general, I think Kentucky is a team that I wouldn't sleep on at all. And I don't see – I see Penn State having an easier way. That, that's, that's really kind of what it comes down to. I think Penn State's defense versus Florida leaning pretty heavily on the passing game, and there is a lot of volatility there still, I think. That, that's what fa- that's what gives Penn State the edge for me. Yeah, and to be fair, Penn State probably doesn't even have to beat Ohio State to get in. If they just go 11-1, and one, although they, it would be a home loss, so maybe not. But you think there's a pot? There's still obviously a scenario where Penn State could get in at 11-1 and one with a loss, a close loss to Ohio State at home. Obviously, any more than seven points, probably not. But if it's a close loss, they can still probably get in. Notre Dame, you know, you mentioned it earlier. I don't even go back as far as that Clemson playoff game. I just think of that beatdown they suffered in Michigan last year. I mean, it, I, we talked about this um, a little bit a couple weeks ago, and they constantly let you down. And it seems like if they can't figure out a way this year with the offensive line they have coming back and Ian Book coming back for his 19th season they got to be able to do some things on offense. I know they lost Chase Claypool, but they got to figure something out because if they don't do it now, I mean, it's like, okay, when are you going to do it? Now, they don't have to beat Clemson to get in there, but if they beat everybody else, they should be okay. I don't know. Notre Dame's an interesting one because I don't want them to be good necessarily, but you kind of expect that they're going to be somehow, some way, but then they let you down again. Yeah, it, I think I, I think a lot of people like it like dunking on, on Brian Kelly in general. And it's easy to do because I think Notre Dame, if you're not a Notre Dame fan, is very easy to hate. For me, I like Brian Kelly. I like Ian Book. I like a lot of players that have come through Notre Dame. There's still the part of me that is kind of like, I just hate, I hate the independent route. I just I hate it, especially after Navy joined Amer- the American Conference and seeing so many cool games with Navy involved, a Navy SMU, Navy Memphis, you know, all those different options. Notre Dame kind of adapting half-assed, admittedly, an ACC schedule, and I think that's going to be the one that bites them. It's they got to play Clemson, right? And I think they get wrecked by Clemson. They still have at USC. At Pitt is not going to be a cakewalk. Wake Forest, probably, but it's also going to be hurricane season. We know what Notre Dame does in hurricanes, which is not not very good when it's raining. I I don't think this is Notre Dame's year, and I don't know whose fault it is. I, I, I want them to be decent. I don't want them to be playoff decent. I agree with that. So, okay, let's get into 
the true meat of the podcast today. And that is basically going to be this true storylines here. I'm going to give you two storylines. You're going to tell me which one's going to be the better storyline or the one that's going to be talked about more this season. Not necessarily the best thing that you just like more or you're excited for. No, the better storyline, what people are going to mention more. And if you want to throw in some of your quotes uh, as we go, you can obviously do that as well. But I'm not going to explain that just yet. Now, this is important to remember. We are basing this off of as if the season is going to happen normally. So if the season doesn't happen normally, you can basically take this podcast and dump it in the trash and light it on fire. But as of right now, we are going to assume that the season is going to start as normal uh, and everything in life is perfect. And as well as you know, it is definitely not. But anyway, here's the first one for you, Marty. LSU, they lost so much. I mean, I could literally read off all the people that and coaches and players and personnel they lost. And I could just do that as a whole podcast. Like they lost defensive or they lost defensive coordinators they lost quarterbacks they lost the recruiting uh graphic people i mean they lost everything and so now can they go back to back this is kind of more of a question than necessarily the storyline but what is a good season for them or angry alabama i can just imagine like this elephant charging you because you know you have an ivory tooth or something it missed the playoff for the first time it lost to Auburn and Alabama. You think Nick Saban's going to come out with a fury and it's just going to, you know, they're going to run amok or something like that. Which one is going to be the better storyline in 2020? I think the better storyline is probably going to be Scorched Earth, Alabama. I think the one that will be talked about the most might be LSU. I imagine there being, I can picture the graphic now before each game, highlighting all the positions that went to the NFL and where they were picked. Angry Alabama, not just steamrolling Alabama, is a scary thought. And you lose to a, but I think there's enough consistency with that program that they're going to absolutely destroy some people. And I think that's the better storyline for me, if only because it's more time Nick Saban's on my screen the more he has to answer questions that he thinks are ridiculous and get angry at reporters or throw his headset down. I think the better storyline is Scorched Earth, Alabama, even though we all have tired head from all the Alabama talk, right? Like it was, it was a breath of fresh air of them not being in the playoffs. Them trying to get back in is a fantastic storyline, I think. Also, if Tua is healthy last year, I mean, that Alabama team was so, so good. And that would upset me and that would frustrate me as well. I do think, I mean, don't forget the graphic guy for LSU. I mean, he's going to probably be up there as well when they talk about LSU. I think this will be an interesting one all the way up until they play each other. And I think whoever wins that game, that storyline will kind of take over. If Alabama rolls through everything and it's like, wow, this Nick Saban team is pissed off. Um, that's going to be a scary sight. I'm a little bit concerned about Mac Jones still. It helps that he has Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith to throw to and a really good running back. Um, but the defense is going to, the defense is going to be the key, I think, for Alabama to, to get back to that point. Next one, Texas A&M, is it finally their year? This is already kind of creeping up as a headline or Auburn, Bo Nix ready to take that next step. I feel like Bo Nix is like a, I don't know, like a, a Roman 
general that's trying to come to age and just is hasn't got there yet or something like that. Which one's gonna be the better storyline? Yeah, he feel he feels like a folk hero in the making. Is is and the the name Bonex probably helps. I think that it's Texas A and M. I think that's the biggest storyline of this year. Bonex is gonna be a sophomore. The biggest thing I see Auburn being involved in is who's gonna call plays and at some point in week seven or eight, Chad Morris getting it taken away from him. For A and M all the pressure is on Jimbo Fisher. The SEC West right now, you have Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss with new coaches, Alabama without Tua now, LSU without a lot now, and Auburn still has Bo, aforementioned, who's still a young quarterback. If there's ever a year that's made for A&M to, to win the West, this is it. Jimbo makes all that money, Kellen Mond's back, and they're going to have a pretty good team, and it hurts me to say that because I, I am not an Aggie fan, but put up or shut up for Jimbo. And this is year three. It needs it needs to happen, and I think this is going to be a small part to tie in COVID-19. All the money that athletic departments are going to have to worry about with coaches, uh, Jimbo's making this much money, I think – it's going to be a higher demand. Eight wins aren't going to do it. He's going to need to win the SEC West. Yeah, here's a fun fact for you, Marty. Seven years in a row now, Texas A&M has won between seven and nine games. They're consistent. Seven years. That's also like consi- that's also as high as Aggies can count. You know. Oh God, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm just y'all gonna don't know that. There. I got a lot of Aggie friends. They're nice. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we see where you lie on that rivalry, so we're going to leave that where where it is. Um, but I think what's more interesting, that I'm pretty sure Nebraska fired Bo Pelini for doing something similar. I'm just saying. Um, That's a good point. I do I, – I think A&M has to be it, just like you said. Like, I think they, this has got to be their chance. They're recruiting really well. I, I really like that Spiller kid at running back. This has got to be their chance. I don't. I'm not a believer in Kellen Mond, but if I had to choose between Kellen Mond and Bo Nix, who Bo Nix can't play anywhere besides at home, and I have seen him in person actually. Um, also, the reason Auburn was so good last year wasn't because of Bo Nix. It was because a defense literally carried. Yeah. I mean, not just that defensive line, but also that secondary. I mean, how many of that players in that secondary are now in the NFL? I mean, surprisingly, almost how many got drafted, especially so high. So the defense isn't going to be there to carry them. Uh, they lose uh, Whitlow. I know they have Bigsby coming in, but they lose Whitlow. I think that's a bigger loss than people think. Uh, I like AM more as a better better storyline, especially since Auburn could lose to North Carolina early in the season. Yeah, so. yeah and meanwhile, AM starting with Abilene Christian, North Texas. They don't they don't leave Texas until October third. That's pretty nice. Ooh, and then they get to, and then they get to play Mike Leach. That is. Uh, that is interesting. That is interesting. Okay, that's a whole other. Mike Leach is a whole another podcast on his own. But which I did mention, by the way, if you're here, <laughs> um, hashtag. I'm gonna mess up the hashtag now. Uh, no, CJK5H. I did a whole podcast on it. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go check it out. It talks about Mike Leach and Craig James and that whole thing. I didn't know a lot about it until I got into it. So if you haven't let check that one out, really, really interesting. Anyway. Yeah, my, my wife is a Texas Tech grad, so our house has a has a side they picked. Does she, does she throw a tortilla in the air every time they score or what? 
Yeah, yeah, she was at the game uh, when they beat Texas. Oh, that's really cool, actually. That's yeah, she was. She, she saw Crabtree cross the cross the goal line. That's really, you know, I, I will we'll keep going anyway. Florida SEC East to lose or Jamie Newman's takeover of Georgia's offense. Which one's going to be the better storyline? A little little asterisk, I guess, is JT Daniel D- JT Daniels sits out a year. I'm just assuming he's going to sit out a year, but honestly, NCAA. You can, can you just claim hardship for COVID nineteen as a reason? I don't know, but yeah, that's <laughs> which one? What, what do you think? I about? so before before the JT Daniels transfer, I would have said the Jamie Newman takeover, and I think that if JT Daniels gets a waiver, that is gonna shove it way in front of Florida's SEC East to lose storyline because you're gonna have the quarterback battle what the fans want, depending on what's happening on the field, et cetera. But I'm going to pick for this one. I'm going to pick Florida's SEC East is to lose. And I think it's because it's not – I think Florida's going to be really good this year. And Trask coming back is definitely going to help. But I think Florida, if they don't figure out their running game, because they only return basically Kyle Pitts and Trevon Grimes in the passing game, not really other significant snaps. If Lorenzo Lingard and Damian Pierce do their thing, I think this storyline has a chance to be big. If they don't, and they basically pass as much as they did before, because I believe they were the ninth worst team in terms of rushing attempts. And I'm a pass guy. I'm not a run guy. But that's still not going to do it. <laughs> like it's just That's not going to work, especially with some of the teams you're going to be playing, the kind of weather you're going to be dealing with. If the playmakers can step in and if Florida can get their running game in order, Florida's SEC East to lose is absolutely the number one storyline, maybe in the whole SEC, but definitely in this scenario for me. Yeah, and we have to see if Lingard's actually going to be cleared as well. So we will keep a little tally on him. But Oh, I didn't even realize he didn't have the waiver. I don't think he has it yet. Transfer from Miami for keep everyone in the loop here. And just kind of talking about, because I know part of this is a little bit Different quotes we expect to hear. I'd like to add, if JT Daniels does have the waiver, is the backup better than the starter is going to be a constant, constant, constant line mentioned during Georgia games. I would be interested to see if Jamie Newman has a bad first couple of games, whether or not if JT Daniels is clear to play, how long they'd wait. Also, I'm not a huge believer in Todd Munkin. Um, so let's just keep that in mind. Yeah. Anywho, next one. I think this one is the one I'm going to speak on just a little bit because it annoys me still. Uh, but Mississippi State's hire of Mike Leach or old Mrs. hire of Lane Kiffin. I mean, it's basically the state of Mississippi is just being ripped in half from which one's going to absorb the other one as far as publicity is concerned. Right now, I think Mike Leach has the edge because of what he tweeted about earlier this year. Um, which he got in trouble in. So I give him the edge as far as publicity because, you know, all publicity is good publicity. But this will be an interesting one. Obviously, everyone's excited for the Egg Bowl. I still am a believer that Mississippi State did the worst thing ever in firing Joe Moorhead. I am biased because I have his autograph in the room that I am currently in. Um, And a huge believer in him as not only a coach but as a person. But 
I just have to say that one more time. I think that's the third time I've said it on this podcast. It will be interesting to see what Mississippi State can do with Mike Leach. Which one's going to be the better uh, storyline? Mike Leach, hands down. And I don't think it's going to be because quirky Mike Leach or angry Mike Leach or press conference Mike Leach. I think whether they're doing good, whether they're doing poorly, or whether they're somewhere in the middle, the can Leach's offense work in the SEC is going to be a consistent storyline all the way through, whether it's proof of concepts or the exact opposite. For that reason, I feel like Mike Leach is going to be the biggest storyline out of these two. And I also think that Ole Miss is probably going to be three and five by Halloween. And for that reason also, they're going to kind of fade into the background of this as the season goes along. That's interesting. I will agree with you on that, but we're going to keep moving forward out of the SEC and into the ACC. And I think this is an interesting one because it kind of explains Clemson a lot. So the storyline is Clemson's overall dominance or how bad is the ACC this year? Go take it away. I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's going to be how bad is the ACC this year, but I think it's going to be incorrect. I think that it is it is full of parity, and for that reason I like it, but that parity is going to make a lot of people, or I'm sorry, a lot of teams look like pretenders. And, and I guess what I mean by that is if I expect North Carolina or Virginia Tech or Syracuse or Pittsburgh or Louisville to have good seasons, like Georgia Tech and Boston College, I don't. Is it because I think they're a bad team? Like, yes, but I also know what it's going to look like in maybe two years, and that really excites me. But there's a lot of movement in the ACC going up, and what the ACC feels like it's missing is defined tiers with teams, right? So with the SEC, it's a little bit clear to see who the top tier, the second tier, the third tier, fourth tier, et cetera, and then Vanderbilt. (laughs) For the ACC, it's Cle- <laughs> for the ACC, it's Clemson, and then almost every team left, and then occasionally Duke. You know, it, it's it, the flexibility in that conference to go from seventh in your division to first is so easy. I think it appears to be that it's a weak conference. I don't think that. I just think it's a very volatile conference. And Clemson's the only one that's had year after year after year of recruiting that allows them to be kind of, what is the word, Uh, invisible to that, to those steps back. At least until Florida State becomes good again, you know, or another team like Louisville. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Louisville because I am a huge Louisville fan and that's where we're going to go next. Um, I'm not actually, I guess, a fan, but I really wish they would do well because I really like Satterfield. So, Louisville and Satterfield or UNC and Mac Brown? I love Satterfield, too, but I'm taking I'm taking North Carolina and Mac Brown here. And I think it's, it's going to be because of Sam Howell, right, more than it's going to be Mac Brown. But with coaches that come in, and UNC was not left for dead. They still had talent on their team. They just kind of underperformed. They were underwhelming for five or six seasons towards the end there with Fedora. And 
Mac Brown isn't a normal hire. He comes in, they're recruiting like gangbusters. Instead of going through the normal lose big year, lose close, win close, win big, they just went to win big or lose close. And I think this next season has a chance, if Howell stays healthy, to just the way people talk about Texas now. Because Mac Brown's there and he's so media friendly, I expect UNC to be a heavy topic of discussion, especially the aforementioned game with Auburn if they win that game, which I expect them to. I agree with you, and it breaks my heart. But no, I think Louisville will be a fun team. Uh, but that you, I keep going back to that UNC Auburn matchup will be a fun one. Uh, next one for you: Aren't you wrong about Syracuse or Pitt's defense? Syracuse obviously took a step back last year. Pitt's defense, especially the defensive line and the secondary with Paris Ford, going to be pretty good. Which one's going to be the better storyline? So I flip-flopped this a lot because I kept coming back to Pitt, and I think there's going to be a small piece of them keeping Narduzzi from Michigan State. And then as the season goes along, that defense is going to be really, really good. But it's going to determine, it's going to be determined by Kenny Pickett and how he performs at quarterback or whoever the quarterback ends up being. Because if it doesn't matter how good your defense is, right? If your quarterback is a bum, he's a bum. And since they upset Miami and Kenny Pickett was a freshman, he's been pretty hot and cold. So after all that, I'm going to go ahead and say the bigger storyline is going to be Syracuse. And I think that Syracuse is. Definitely, God, I don't want to say this. One of my co-hosts is a Syracuse fan, for what it's worth, but I think I think they go bowling this year, and I think they might win eight games. And I want to point out a stat. I know I know you dig metrics and stats, so allow me to to dig into this real quick, Corey. So Tommy DeVito, their quarterback, was just they they were awful. The offensive line was so bad. Part of this was due to injuries and a rotation of players at different positions all over the line. So they just kept having to sub guards to left guard to right guard, left tackle to right tackle. They just had a really bad time. So the, the four returning starters in that offensive line, when they were all on the field last year versus when only one of them was not on the field. So does that make sense? These are two sets of stats. One is when all four are out there. The other one is when three or less are out there. Um, you got you so far. I'm following. Okay, cool. So when they were all on, the pressure percentage on the quarterback was 23.7%. When only one was off the field, at least, 33.4%. Yards per drop back, almost a full yard gained when all were on the field. Yards per rush, a full yard difference for when they were all on the field. And first down rushing yards, which I know, I know that Syracuse is a fan of first yard, first down rushes. It's an old running joke for them. 6.04 yards per rush on first down is the average when they were all there. When only one of them were off, it was a little under three and a half. Those numbers, some of them seem incremental, but they're huge when it comes down to third down and third down completion percentage. And for that reason alone, I think Syracuse probably wins two or three more games that they would have won last year had they stayed healthy. So I think Orange is going to be, it's going to be kind of 
It's going to surprise people. It shouldn't. Injuries happen. You just have those years sometimes. But I think they're going to be back to where they should be versus last year where they weren't able to meet up to that expectation. Yeah, I think a lot of people expect them to take a step back anyway. So then you add those injuries and and they you know kind of dwindle away. So that will be interesting. I think Pitt's division is just going to be such an interesting one this year, especially if Virginia Tech can do something maybe beat Penn State. Uh, which I don't necessarily see happening, but there's a lot of opportunities out there for uh, them to make a name for themselves. As you said, someone else needs to step up and make that conference more recognizable. Uh, next one, very simple. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Not who's the better player. Who's going to be the bigger storyline? I think it's going to be Justin Fields, and I think it's going to be purely on coaching. Ryan Day is going to go for the throat before Dabo will. So I think in that aspect alone, Fields' statistics, they're not going to overshadow Trevor Lawrence, but I think that it wouldn't surprise me at the end of the year if he has a 1,000 passing yards more, purely off of Ohio State being able to really hold the gas down, where Clemson may not. Okay, we're going to skip ahead here. Ohio State or the rest of the Big Ten? You know, I don't really have an opinion here. Uh, Another co-host is a Michigan fan. And I think Ohio State, I, I do this after I just said Alabama would be one, but Ohio State, it's expected. So I think that the rest of the Big Ten is the biggest storyline throughout the entire season until... Or if Ohio State lose a game, and then it shifts back, only because Ohio State with the game down and having to win out, I think will be the running, can they make the playoffs? You know, I don't think you have, with a lot of Big Ten teams, aside from the aforementioned Penn State, there's not a whole lot of playoff contenders there. So so give me, I'm, I'm, I'm flip-flopping here, give me the rest of the Big Ten, I'll just hold that answer. Okay, you mentioned Penn State. So better storyline, Penn State becoming elite or Michigan beating Ohio State? Maybe there should be Michigan or can Michigan beat Ohio State? Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Corey. What, what do you think? Do you think Penn State as a program are closer to becoming elite than a Harbaugh-led team is to beating Ohio State? I think this is probably the closest Penn State's going to have to becoming elite. Penn State's never probably going to recruit at the same level as Alabama or Ohio State. just isn't. I mean, State College isn't Columbus. Um, But in 2020, Penn State gets Ohio State at home. They have a lot back on defense, even though it doesn't necessarily seem that way because of how many starters they lost. And they have a lot back on offense besides um, maybe some receivers. So... This is their best chance to be elite. I don't know if that means they're going to stay elite, but this is their best chance to get into the playoff that they've probably ever had since 2016. I mean, 2017 you can maybe make a case for too, um, but this is probably their best chance in the last three years. Michigan, at least for this season, and now these are specific for the 2020 season, I don't see Jim Harbaugh beating Ohio State with this 
up-and-coming Michigan team. They lost a lot of pieces. Last year was supposed to be this third year. Um, so for me, I think Penn State becoming elite is a lot better this year than Michigan beating Ohio State. I, I agree. And, and, and to build on to your point a little bit further, if, if Michigan goes in undefeated against Ohio State, there is still going to be – that question gets asked every year, right? Like, there, I don't think there's going to be a moment in those 11 games that are going to prove that Michigan can beat Ohio State. Whereas I think Penn State, with the schedule that's before them with at Virginia Tech, at Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, like those games feel more like moments to me. And if they go Penn State's way, moments that would be part of a two-minute – video package before the biggest game of the year for him that it's believe like I, I can I can believe that. I can see it in, in in the future. I can't see Jim Harbaugh beating Ohio State this year. It, the, my, I'm laying out the tarot cards and there are no Wolverines. Uh, I agree. So let's keep going here. Indiana or Purdue, two Indiana schools. Indiana Indiana obviously had a really good year. I'm a huge Tom Allen supporter or a Purdue team, kind of like Syracuse, had a lot of injuries. Rondell Moore's back. Which one's going to be the better storyline? I think it's going to be Purdue, and I think it's going to be because right now, as as a program, there's only 11 players on Purdue that Brom didn't recruit or bring in. So it's truly his team, and I think this year, if there ever was one, in his fourth season might be a put-up or shut-up. And if Michael Penix Jr. can come back and do his thing, I think Purdue's the biggest story. I think Indiana, for what it's worth, is still going to be likely in the 7-9 to nine win range. I think they're going to have a good year, but I don't think it's going to have the uh, the fever pitch that it seemed to have with the whole 9-win Indiana and home field apparel and all that stuff last year that was a lot of fun on Twitter. I think I think if Rondell Moore stays healthy, in, Purdue is going to be – Definitely talked about more. I agree. I think Purdue will be riveting, honestly, to a certain degree. All right, moving forward, Michigan State, no more head coach or row in the boat. I think it's going to be Michigan State, the bigger storyline. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be for the right reasons. Like, I, I like the hire with Mel Tucker. It's a little weird that he said he was committed to Colorado and then still went, but I still like that hire ultimately. But like or similar to the situation at Baylor and other schools before them, if purely on how the media is going to handle it, the media will abstain from mentioning it, mentioning it, I think. And for that reason, I hope it's Michigan State for the right reasons. Let me say that. I'm afraid it's going to be Michigan State for the wrong reasons. It's very possible. I, Michigan State's just an interesting one. Like I think Minnesota got all the storylines last year. I think to a certain extent they're going to be expected to compete now for the Big Ten West. Michigan State, people have their eyes on them. Is Mel Tucker going to do something good here, or is it going to collapse what is going to happen in East Lansing? People are kind of fixed on him a little bit, especially since there's nothing else to do in Michigan right now. Yeah. I think it's the Michigan State headline because they have a lot of tough opponents, and 
I think to a certain degree, people are kind of expecting them to fail. I like Mel Tucker, actually. So that will be an interesting one. This is the last Big Ten one. We're a little bit behind schedule, but that's okay. Rondell Moore return or Micah, Pi- Micah, Par- Pisons. Micah Parsons Heisman <laughs> race? What do you got? Uh, Rondell Moore, right? I, I think the only thing that would keep – the only thing that uh, – I'm going to say Rondell Moore. I'm just going to leave it simple. Uh, Micah Parsons I don't think has a chance in hell, and it's not because he's undeserving. It's because he's just not going to get an opportunity for the Heisman, and that sucks. We can go on for an hour about how how it sucks. The Heisman is basically a quarterback and running back award now. But give me Rondell Moore. He's one of the most electric players in football. He'll continue to be. God, I hope that either Jack the Snack Plumber or Austin Burton or Aiden O'Connell, that someone can get him the ball so he can shine. But Rondell's my answer. I agree. I think people kind of forgot Rondell Moore and how explosive he is. Let's go to the Big 12. This has kind of been a similar question, but Oklahoma Sooners or the Big 12 field? I mentioned earlier uh, how Oklahoma State might be a sleeper for the playoff. And I, and I kind of wanted that. I wanted to say that with this topic in mind, or this question in mind. Uh, Oklahoma Sooners are going to be the story. If Spencer Rattler is going to stay the starter, his name alone makes them a topic of conversation every single week, right? Like the marketability of a name like Spencer Rattler is unbelievable. But I, you have a, a conference where Kansas, K-State, and West Virginia are still at the beginning of what is kind of a rebuild or a reshape of a program. And then you have Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Texas, if you believe they're back, which I don't. And then you have TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, which we'll talk about probably a little bit later here. But Oregon's the biggest storyline for me. If only on this this sentence, Oklahoma, no one is going to be able to take the title away from them. Oklahoma have to give it away. Similar to Clemson, right, in the ACC. No one is going to beat Clemson for it. Clemson has to lose it. That's how I feel about Oklahoma going into the season. I agree with you. I don't know how confident I am in the rest of the Big 12 field, especially the way the championship set up. I mean, basically, you're going to have to beat Oklahoma twice. Twice. Right. So I don't know. I'm not a fan. So next one, Sam Ellinger. Basically, who's going to have a better final year? Sam Ellinger, which I'm going to guess you're not going to choose, or Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, especially since you are on the Cowboys, it seems. So on the storyline perspective, I think Sam Ellinger is the bigger storyline because they're going to air it out a whole bunch. And I think it's a make-or-break season for Tom Herman. I think and the, the media love Texas, right? So I think I think that's a bigger storyline. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, the other part is that Chuba Hubbard is going to be surrounded by Tylen Wallace and Spencer Sanders, and I think that's going to take the shine off him just a little bit. Even though he'll be fantastic, I think it's going to take the shine off of him where Sam Ellinger would be in this either-or scenario, the top storyline. I I keep going back and forth, and at least you stuck to the game properly because I guess I kind of got away from it there. And You're probably right. Sam Ellinger will probably be the better storyline. And you know what? And in addition to it, I think I think Ellinger also did a lot uh, for raising money for COVID too, uh, which is probably going to be a theme throughout the season. So that's kind of a cheat code. Also, I'm going to pick it. 
That's okay. I like using cheat codes. So, okay, what about this one? <laughs> Talk about cheat codes. Baylor getting Dave Aranda from LSU. Matt Rule obviously gone to Carolina to coach in the NFL. Or, uh, so I guess the storyline is Baylor back or remains back. I don't know. Or Iowa State's Brock Purdy show. Which one you got? The Larry Fedora hire interests me a lot at Baylor. I think this season it's the Brock Purdy show. It, it was almost one of the most dominant conversation pieces in the Big 12 last season when Iowa State wasn't just insanely good. But Brock Purdy is is the truth. And Brees Hall is going to be back. Tariq Milton, Charlie Kohler is going to be back. I think that their season also lines up really well. They have road games at Oklahoma State, Kansas, TCU, and Texas, but they're getting Oklahoma. They're getting Baylor at home. They're getting Kansas State at home. I think Iowa State might have a 10-win run in them, which is great if they can get by Iowa. And if they get by Iowa, it's the Brock Purdy show, and it is one of the bigger storylines of the year, I find. I think. I think is how it's going to pan out. And Iowa State didn't catch very many breaks in 2019 either. I mean, they had a lot of things kind of bounce their, the wrong way for them. So if they can get a couple good breaks this year and Purdy can step up into a pretty good role, I think they have a chance to maybe be one of those teams that steals a spotlight from Oklahoma for a little bit, uh, but we'll see. Let's go out west now and talk about Oregon and their defense or... Clay Helton's hot seat. You know everyone loves that hot seat. That's the quote, right? I'm going to go ahead and say the quote for Clay Helton's job and everyone thinking he'd be gone, but he's actually back. This this is going to be one of the most mentioned things just in Pac-12 conversations alone. So the, the Clay Helton hot seat for me is probably going to be the bigger storyline i think oregon's defense is fantastic i'm not trying to short them i'll be interested to see how that ohio state game goes because maybe towards the end of the year oregon's defense sneaks into that conversation but the entire year helton's job is going to be talked about and it's going to be in one or two ways one, I can't believe they're going to fire him because look at him. He's heading to the he's heading to the playoffs. Look how good they are. Or he was so bad, and they're so bad. How could they have ever brought him back? What a huge mistake. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's in Arizona heat as soon as that get, that loss happens. Well, and not to put you on the spot, but if I remember correct, Justin Fields only threw one interception all of last year, right? And it was against Clemson. I be- I believe that's right.
Okay, so so using that and and just kind of projecting ahead of how the media might portray stuff. If Oregon picks him off three times, we'll never stop hearing about the Oregon defense, like flat out. That that takes number one. But if Oregon just has, if they allow 30 points to Ohio State, I think it, it would take later in the year before it to be as relevant as it probably should be. Yeah, and to be fair, Justin Fields hasn't played in that many tough environments. Like obviously he's played in the college football playoff and that means something. But he hasn't played in Happy Valley yet. So playing playing over there in Eugene isn't going to be a walk in the park. And he might try, especially with a year under his belt, and he's probably a lot more confident, he might be a little bit too confident. I'm just saying you might get a chance for an interception early and get him you know, flustered, but I'm not betting him any money on that. Yeah, he, he made it look easy last year in a lot of ways. And I think that there's always a tendency for – the the league or in this case the conference or competition to adjust you learn what a player's tells are and things like that so i think he i think he's gonna have a great year still but yeah it wouldn't surprise me if he has eight interceptions last year which or nine and triple his total despite having a fantastic year it's it's natural that's how progression works and then he adjusts again you know right and you don't have jk dobbins and i think that's going to be a little bit more of a talking point than people actually need to uh, wake up to because Dobbins was really good. Master Teague is hurt. They have a little bit of a question mark at running back position. He might have to run more, and we'll see what that means for them. Anyway, sticking to the Pac-12 here, I'm going to kind of throw a little curveball on you here. I, I just said Washington's Jimmy Lake or Washington State's Nick Rolovich. I don't like that anymore, so I'm going to kind of switch it up on you and go with Washington's offense versus Washington State's offense. So I'm probably made you just throw away all your notes. Ooh. But I want, I mean, unless okay. there's something specific you want to mention about those coaches, I'll give you the floor. So I, my answer would have been Rolovich, for what it's worth, if, if because Jimmy likes quieter. That's it. And and Rolovich is a more media-friendly leech without the weird conspiracy stuff. Uh, on an offense versus offense level, I think it's going to be Washington State, and I think it's going to be because the world is about to know who Max Borgie is. He is Christian McCaffrey 2.0, but with a little bit of Maurice Jones-Drew sprinkled in him. I think Borgie is going to have a really, really fun and big year. And for that reason, I think Washington State's offense is the answer there. Washington's, as far as the storyline goes, it's going to be interesting how they replace Eason and stuff. But I, as far I, I'm not intrigued by it at all. Washington State intrigues me. I think, I think a lot of college football media will agree. I agree with you 100%. But I'm going to go with Washington just because I think John Donovan's going to do so badly. Um, I'm a Penn State <laughs> fan, so I know John Donovan very well. Didn't do... Oh, I forgot he... Oh, I didn't even consider that he transferred. Yeah, there. well, he sat out for a while, but yeah, he's been... He was in the NFL doing something for the Jaguars, I want to say. Um, and so he has been... This is his first gig since then as an offensive coordinator. So... I, I think he needed some time off, and I don't think he was necessarily a bad offensive coordinator. He didn't have a very good offensive line at Penn State, blah, 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 blah. I think they're still not going to do very well. I don't think it's a great fit for him, but what do I know? So I think Washington could take a step back, and maybe Washington State could even win the Apple Cup. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Speaking of my favorite head coach out there in the West, Erm Edwards, the fighting Herm Edwards, or the Utah Utes. Utah kind of coming on a 
downward spiral from what was a great season, finished it off with two bad losses to both Oregon and Texas. Meanwhile, Herm Edwards, I mean, there's a lot of excitement coming into 2020. Which one's going to be a better storyline? I think Herm Edwards. I think Arizona State with with Jaden Daniels is my answer. And I'm hesitant a little bit because Jake Bentley with Utah is fascinating to me too. And and they're they're replacing a lot, but they're also going to have almost their entire offensive line back. So I think Utah is going to be better than people expect. But Utah's had recent success. So I'm going to stick with Arizona State. They're still replacing Ayuk, Eno Benjamin, and the like. But Jaden Daniels has a chance to really be special. And the Pac-12 South has a lot of storylines that Arizona State play a part in, whether it be UCLA, USC, etc. I agree with you. And I think you were mentioning USC at the beginning of this. And... I think Arizona State's one of the reasons why I'm not um, on that USC reaching into the CFB. But we'll move on. And to the last one of these. Here we go. I just left this so simple. Cincinnati or Memphis? And this is kind of like the de facto who's going to make it out of the group of five, in my opinion. What do you got? Okay. So, so, we're, so we're by process of elimination here, eliminating Boise State. And Central Florida. Yes, I just basically said okay. screw them. Yep. So everyone in Idaho and in Florida can basically unsubscribe from the podcast and take out their headphones because the next three minutes of the conversation is not going to apply to them. No, you know what? Yeah, at him, at Bruce Feldman. Uh, so my answer is Memphis. Brady White, I'm not totally sure I'm a believer here, but. I think he's going to end up being talked about as a future NFL first rounder. And for that reason, Memphis is going to be, they're going to have the spotlight shown on them. So I think that storyline is probably going to be the bigger one. And you kind of factor in the coaching changes to the only way I see it flipping is if Cincinnati beats Nebraska, like handedly, then maybe Cincinnati, it shifts. But, but just assuming that they're going to win the games they should and everything else, Memphis, for me, is the bigger storyline. I think so, too. I like Cincinnati and I like Memphis. But Memphis, I think going into this, has a lot of the excitement. And I did have another one that I deleted about App State because I think App State might be one of the best teams, too. But since we get to see Cincinnati and Memphis at least play once, I wanted to compare these two teams specifically. Um, but, of course, App State, Boise State, UCF are going to be in the mix. Um, but I think right now the consensus is one of these two teams between Cincinnati and Memphis are probably going to be maybe not the, the toughest or the easiest roads to get to that group of five uh, New Year's Six game. Um, but I think the consensus is one of these two teams are going to be down the stretch to probably win it. Um, with that being said, we're going to go a little bit faster through that. We actually made that through a little bit faster than I thought it was going to be because we were going really slow there for a while. So I appreciate you um, kicking up a notch without me having to say anything, although I'm saying something now. So what's the point? Um, <laughs> but uh, getting into the quotes. Now, if you are a listener of Solid Verbal, which I hope you are because they actually just got a new deal or something like that. So congratulations to those two guys. They do this little fantasy thing where they draft quotes throughout the season 
Um, I'm not doing anything like that because I don't want to and I don't want to steal their thunder altogether, but I do like the idea of it. And I think it's a fun way to kind of think about what the storylines are going to be for the 2020 season in the eyes of the analysts or the pundit. Um, so basically, I asked Marty to come up with some good quotes, um, and I posted on Twitter as well, good quotes that sports analysts, sports commentators, uh, basically anybody you want, the guy tailgating three lots over from you, I don't care, that are going to be said over and over that are specific to the 2020 season. So someone tweeted something like, oh, that running back's a workhorse for them. Like, yes, but I want that specific to the season. And then it's a little bit better. So the obvious one that I came up with right off the bat was, hard to imagine these kids are prepared given that there was no spring practice due to the coronavirus. Like, that was an easy quote one. Anything to do with the coronavirus and preparation, I think that's going to be a solid gold one. Um, One other one I'm going to mention first is, and I was posted on Twitter as well, uh, the next Joe Burrow or which quarterback will make that Joe Burrow type leap in 2020. I think that's going to be a really common phrase, especially with all the transfers. Um, what do you got, Marty? So I kind of piggybacking off the coronavirus thing. I'm going to get a little bit more specific and I'm going to say in the first few weeks, the, well, listen, you know, uh, defenses typically are ahead of schedule for the offenses. So maybe what we're seeing here is, is not a bad offense, but simply one that hasn't gotten in the groove due to the spring practices and coronavirus, et cetera. So, so it's kind of a little addendum to what you already had. The Joe Burrow type leap is a tough one to match. So, I have more. I can. I I made. Did I share these ones with you? Did I share all mine? With you? you did. You you shared them with me. And honestly, I, I'll admit that this is a section I didn't feel inspired when I was doing it. So I didn't put a lot of thought. I'm just kind of freestyling, but you know what? I have another quarterback related one that I'll put in. Okay, go for it. Uh, We spoke about UCF and after Dylan Gabriel's year, he had last year, the question of if McKenzie Milton can return, will he get the starting job? Because he was so great for UCF two seasons ago before he, his leg exploded and Dylan Gabriel was a fantastic freshman. Uh, I could see that being a topic for UCF specifically all across the season. I agree. I think that definitely will be one. That's, that was a good one right off the uh, right off the noggin there. I like that one a lot. And you're more than likely to are allowed to, to take some of mine as well. Um, I really liked what you said about the coronavirus and, and the defense being ahead of the offense. I think that could especially apply when John Donovan's offense is failing, uh, is stalling out up there in Washington early on. Like, oh no, it's okay, it's just a coronavirus. Like that, that would be the excuse for them. Um, I ha- also had um, whether or not Jamie Newman is successful or not at Georgia, but something along the lines of the SEC fans are going to love this one. Like Jamie Newman adjusting to better competition. Like I think that is a golden one. I think that was like. So many people, if he struggles, they're like, oh, well, something along the lines of, oh, well, he was playing worse competition. And people even said that last year. Like, he didn't play that well against Clemson. I mean, who plays that? They said that about Joe Burrow two years ago. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So, when it right. came so I think that's going to be a really fun one. I think that's going to be, whether he does well or not, people are going to love that one. Uh, two that are kind of together and coupled, I guess, is Dan Mullen has to beat Georgia and Harbaugh has to beat Ohio State. I would put more emphasis on Dan Mullins. I think Harbaugh needs to beat Ohio State eventually, 
But it seems pretty clear Michigan's going to be okay, and they don't expect him to beat Ohio State this year. That hasn't seemed to be the grumbling. But Florida fans, I really think, are expecting to at least play Georgia down to the last second, if not beat them. So that one, to me, is one that is going to be said a lot going into that game. Building off what you just mentioned, I think staying in the SEC, Mike Leach and his ability to keep up with SEC defenses with his offense, kind of building off the Dan Mullen beating Georgia or adjusting the competition for Jamie Newman. I really like that one. I think that's going to be one that's going to be said a lot, actually. Um, what about this one? This one I was kind of like, I don't know how to exactly phrase it, but what about Clemson was good before they had a top twenty, uh, top five recruiting class. Now it's just scary what they can do. Do you think that one's going to be said a lot, or do you think that's going to just kind of be go by the wayside because they're already so good? Yeah, I think recruiting classes are going to be probably talked about a lot this season, if only because there's so many, so many commitments before the season that's happened, and that's abnormal. I think we probably both follow Bud Elliott on Twitter, and it's almost like it's double the amount of commits this time in the year that there was last season affected by coronavirus no doubt so i think clemson's recruiting and what's next for them they win championships they handle the sc they handle the acc very easily who's going to be able to stop clemson every single clemson game i imagine that's going to be discussed i agree i think so too now what about this one? Out West for uh, good old Oregon fans. Panay Sewell, I, this is the quote I have for him. Panay Sewell, who, by the way, he's an offensive tackle if you, you're not a diehard fan. Panay Sewell should win the Heisman, but they'll never let that happen. I think you could probably put in that phrase for a lot of people, but I think especially for Sewell because I think he might be one of the best players in the country. I bet they say that one out there a lot this year. Panay Sewell, uh, the aforementioned Micah Parsons, but... Panay, if nothing else, because he is a tackle, I think it probably gets mentioned more. I think it's a fantastic one. Thank you. That's what I, I honestly knew it was a good one. I would just wanted the confirmation from you and to make me feel better. So I'm <laughs> glad you didn't burst that bubble. You have my blessing. Thank you very much. Um, okay, this one was said a little bit last year. Maybe it doesn't specifically pertain to 2020, um, but row the boat isn't just a sighting, it's a lifestyle. Now, that one probably was already said in 2019, but now with that added attention, I think Minnesota, you'll hear that one even a lot more, especially as people are trying to figure out why Minnesota's good. Um, I said Colin Coward the other day was just talking about Minnesota and how they should never let uh, P.J. Fleck go because he was able to win X amount of games at Minnesota, at freaking Minnesota's, I think, the quote. So now if people are going to probably try to figure out why, and I think the saying is going to be, oh, it's not just a saying, it's a lifestyle. I think that is going to just feed my anger towards that whole road the boat thing. Adding on to it, it's staying in the same conference, Shiano being back at Rutgers and the keep chopping thing. Because back in the Big East days, keep chopping, the Rutgers motto, it was a lifestyle, it was a hard-nosed way of playing football. Keep chopping is going to be one that's brought up like that in this in the very same breath of that too. Yeah, and we didn't mention Greg Schiano, but I a couple podcasts back I had John Newman on from Spotlight Podcast, Rutgers Spotlight. I messed that up probably, but that's okay. Um, and we talked all about the Rutgers football program and why it got bad. It was a really fantastic interview. A lot of respect for Greg Schiano, and I'm excited to see what they can do out there. Um, one more 
that I want to mention, and I think this is one that I think almost every commentator is going to say when they come into the game for the first time. And they're all going to say something along the lines of, I'm just glad we have football. I think, oh, And I don't even know if it's just going to be commentators. I mean, I think everyone in the tailgating lots, everyone everywhere is going to be, I'm just glad we have football. I mean, if you got a dollar every time that you heard that quote throughout the season, I think you would be able to subscribe to my Patreon. <laughs> oh, what a, what a filthy smooth plug, man. I, I want to build off that same thing. In these uncertain and trying times, we're proud to be able to bring you an entertaining game of football. This is Auburn. This, you know, whatever whatever the game is. I could see that being an intro leading into many games, especially early in the season. Yeah, okay, how about one more that just came to my mind? Obviously, all the stuff happening right now, uh, all the turmoil around all these, you know, cities and all the rioting and things going on. What about some sort of quote about how football unifies people together. Don't you think that's going to be employed just as much now? Like that's going to be a big part of college football this year. It's like, hey, all these things are happening and people are mad about this and we need to do better. But at the same time, look how we've been able to keep this game and this thing so sacred from all of that. Yeah, it was a huge storyline for the Missouri football team when the Ferguson the Ferguson uh, protests happened. So I think that's a really good a valid argument and actually it, it came to mind when you mentioned the whole row the boat and the minnesota thing i think that could be a sub storyline that gets brought up a lot in broadcasts for minnesota because wherever your politics lie it doesn't really matter but they came out very quickly in front of this and said minneapolis pd are not going to be working our games anymore and personally i think that was an awesome move like it, 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 and I don't doubt that it was PJ Fleck that did it because he knows exactly the type of environment he wants. I think all of this together kind of feeds into your one line, right? That you could use, which is this injustice. You know, every coach has spoken about it and mentioning it, not unsimilar. I brought up the Premier League twice now, but. They have, a, I believe it's called Kick It Out is is the name of the, the program, but it's over every single match. It's on the advertising banners on the sides of the pitch, and it's kick out racism because it's a really big problem over in Europe in terms of just uh, the kind of a verbal abuse that the players are getting over there. I could see there being a similar presentation for college football this year across multiple universities and or media platforms. I agree. And I didn't know that about Minnesota. So that's actually a good tidbit. I did not know that. Um, obviously not going to, I was thinking about giving my advice, but, or my personal take, but you know, I, I decided not to, so we're going to. Well, and, and, and for what it's worth, not to, not because I don't want to dive into it, but the importance of it, because a lot of people might say like, well, cool. What, it doesn't matter. They're not going to use it for, for those departments the extracurricular stuff is how they pay for a lot of things. So it's significant to that department for them not to have that contract, which which is for Minnesota doing it, I thought was a really powerful step because that is that is cutting off your son at 18 and kicking him out of the house because 
that that revenue streams no longer exist, you know. And it's very impactful. There's no doubt about it, whether you agree with it or not. I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. Um, that is all we have, ladies and gentlemen. Marty, that was um that was fantastic. You know, we went an hour and twenty-two minutes longer, and I feel like this might be a trend when you come on the show, but that's okay because you gave us a lot of in-depth things. I'm actually gonna make you hang on here because if I, if I let you hang up, I'm not going to get to them. So I'm going to make you hang on and make you listen to me read, which this is your uh, punishment for making me go over. Uh, no, it's okay. And, and if anybody's listening to this that is a listener of our podcast already, they know that I have long answers and that our shows typically run longer than they should be. We make 40 minutes last uh, 90 minutes regularly on, on Run Pod Options. Well, you know what? I actually try to you know, be consistent with my viewers and try to not ruin their days. So I try to stick to an hour, but I understand. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, this is, well, I don't know. This is, I'm prolonging it still, but no, I do appreciate you coming on, but I'm going to read, I have three of these uh, five-star reviews. So if you haven't already, make sure to go on to Apple Podcasts. And if you really like me, consider giving uh, Hardcore College Football a five-star review. Uh, if you give us a five-star review, I will read it on the show as I'm doing right now. Uh, so this was from Jeff P. B. M. O. Uh, fantastic content. Really good insight on my favorite sport. No frills, gets down right to it, and entertaining. Give them a listen. So thanks for that. And then this was from M. Butel, M. Butel, 2519. Uh, he says, underrated college football podcast. Absolutely great listen, easy to listen to, and discusses topics many bigger media podcasts forget about. Highly recommend. And the last one, which was just on Sunday, and I had to laugh a little bit because it was kind of funny. And uh, Marty, I don't know if you saw this. I almost called you Runny, but that, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you saw this or not. But uh, this is from NCND82, and they meant to say thorough, but they said through. <laughs> <laughs> And so it just says, uh, the title is just says through. So I appreciate the NCND82, but it, it is thorough. But um, he says, out, or she, out of boredom, I found this podcast, which made me feel good because I feel like it's hard to stumble upon my podcast, but okay. Uh, went back and listened to the New York Six previews, which is very dedicated uh, listening ship. I appreciate that. Uh, and listen to the New York Six previews, and it was very, and it was very through. <laughs> um, no Wait, he did it twice college. in the title. He did it Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, very through. Uh, no, it, with an exclamation point too, which it just makes it all much all so much better. Uh, no mainstream college football podcast I've listened to went game by game and provided insight. Much appreciated. You know, I make fun of it, but I really do appreciate you coming on and. Uh, uh, and given that five star review, so if you haven't already, if you listen, if you listen for all hour and twenty five minutes of this thing, you have no excuse. If you, it means at some point you must like the content I'm putting out, go on to Apple Podcasts and give me a five star review. It literally takes about five seconds, and I'll read it on the show. So if you have a spelling error, I will probably make fun of you. Um, Corey, if if I may, the guy who submitted the last one that was through, yes, he said he found this podcast out of boredom correct yeah out of boredom i found this podcast yep so was he just searching hardcore and then and then, and then <laughs> this came up i'm wondering i'm wondering what the search was looking um, like before he popped in <laughs> and he decided you know what let's just let's stick with college football yeah here. i was thinking uh, we were gonna go with dan Carlin. But... i've already listened to all the dan Car- i've already listened to all the dan carlins 
Uh, you know, that was actually, though, <laughs> to be fair, that's actually what the name came from. I'm a huge Dan Carlin guy. Same. He's fantastic. He's, so that's actually where the name did come from. So Dan Carlin, if you are up late listening, or maybe Dan Carlin is NCND82. I don't know. Um, I feel like he's more through than that. Yeah, though. probably a little bit more through. <laughs> um, but no, I don't know what this person was looking up, but somehow, some way, they stumbled. I mean, sometimes it's hard for me to find my podcast on Apple. Um, so I don't know. And then to do all of that and then listen to the New Year's Six previews and then give me a review, I mean, that is some awesome work right there. Like, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even ask my girlfriend to do that. So... I, I appreciate it, NCND82. Um, you are a big fan. And for our big fans out there, if you want to support the show even more, head over to the Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash hardcorecfb. For just a dollar a month, you can help the show grow and um, provide me with, I guess, a couple beers um, to help me provide you with more content. But no, seriously, it goes a long way, more than you actually know. I've already used some of the money that I've gotten before. It's not very much yet, but you know, every dollar counts. Um, Ron, or I just called you Ron, uh, Ron pod options guests or host, excuse me. I'm losing my mind cause I don't go this long typically. Um, Marty, this is familiar territory, <laughs> <with> me, brother. <laughs> Marty, thank you very much for coming out of the bullpen. Uh, not stumbling at all, except for the one part that I will be editing out, but you did a fantastic job. Thank you for so much for coming on. Corey, it, it was an absolute pleasure. I look forward to having you on our podcast soon. Uh, I, if I don't get invited back, I'll understand this is a long episode. <laughs> and at RunPod Option, uh, Wu Tang is for the children. Thank you very much, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was actually kind of nervous that you weren't going to invite me on your show, and so I'm glad you kind of threw that in there on on the uh, on the pod. So we have proof of it. If proof. at some point <laughs> you decide that you were going to. Uh, withdraw that invitation. I have it um, forever now, basically. I have it on a storage uh, external hard drive that I will never throw away. So it is forever. The through guy can listen to it in four months. Yes. You know, I'm curious where he or she is at, but because if they were listening to the New York Six ones, I mean, they're probably sometime in like, or in February, maybe? March? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how fast they're working here. I mean, it seems like they're pretty diligent. I don't know. We're rambling now. With uh, all that being said, thank you so much for listening for an hour and 28 minutes of this. Um, for Ron, or I just called you. You called so me Ron. I'm four times. Ta- Corey, the, the invitation's about to get pulled back. Uh, <laughs> I'm, Ed, I'm cutting that part out. Let <laughs> 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 finish the show. All right. Um. With Marty from Run Pod Option. I don't know why I keep putting that. Maybe because Ron's usually on. I don't know. Uh, with Marty from Run Pod Option, I'm Corey Listoki. Thank you so much for tuning in for Hardcore College Football. Uh, see you later. Bye bye.